Thank you, Stephen, for getting our uh, spiritual juices flowing this morning. It's such a good uh, blessing that we have together together to uh, open God's Word today and to study from it. Speaking of blessings that God gives us, one of the many blessings that God has given to us as His children is the blessing of prayer. In this particular session, the 9 o'clock session, the last couple of Sundays, we have I've been thinking about prayer. Two weeks ago, we thought about as we face anxious times in life, as we face challenges and difficulties in our life, how we can face those anxieties and overcome those worries and cares with prayer. And then, of course, last Sunday morning, if you were here at 9 o'clock, being the fourth Sunday, we uh, devoted our time to singing and to reading uh, from God's Word and to praying uh, but that particular assembly was uh, focused on the, the thought or the theme of being devoted to prayer and how the early Christians, the early disciples, understood how important prayer was as they went about doing the work that God had given them to do in the world. And as a result of that, we read in the book of Acts that uh, they turned the world upside down. Uh, they literally took the gospel to every nook and cranny of the world and they were able to accomplish God's work because they invited God to be a part of that and to direct them in that. One of the great blessings then that God has given us as his children is prayer. For us to be able to, to talk to him about anything and to talk to him about anything at any time, I think is a privilege, it is a blessing that perhaps we don't fully appreciate as we should, or maybe we don't make full use of that particular means of communication as we should. We just kind of take it for granted, and maybe we aren't being people who are devoting ourselves to prayer as much as we should. I think all of us who are God's children, we certainly are thankful that we have that avenue of communication with Him. We're thankful that we can pray to Him, but as we do that, I think, at least speaking for myself, sometimes I feel kind of inadequate I feel somewhat ill-equipped to talk to God on some occasions. So to help us to overcome our inadequacies with prayer, to better equip us as we pray to God, I want us to look to our great example in everything, and that, of course, is the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. And today I want us in both of our lessons, this lesson and the one at the worship assembly, to learn from his life of prayer So we're just going to be thinking about Jesus and prayer. We're going to spend all of our time in both of these lessons just in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, This is not an in-depth lesson. It's kind of a survey-type lesson. But I want us to get uh, a big picture of Jesus and his life of prayer. And so uh, we're just going to be looking there in, in that particular part of Scripture today. As we think about Jesus and his life of prayer, I want us to first of all ask the question, why Jesus prayed as he lived here upon earth? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did Jesus pray to his father as he was here on this earth? Oftentimes we think about prayer, maybe from the standpoint of us being sinners and us sinning against our holy and righteous Father, and of course, He having no sin, He being perfect and holy and just. And from that perspective that we need to often pray to our Father, that we need to admit our sins to Him, that we need to beg for His mercy and ask for His forgiveness, 
so that we can continue on in our relationship with him. Uh, But Jesus, as he lived here upon this earth, the New Testament makes very clear to us that he did not have the problem of sin that we do, right? He was tempted in all points as we are, and yet he was without sin. Jesus, as he lived here upon this earth, he never thought anything that was contrary to his Father's will. He never said anything. You might think about 1 Peter chapter 2 in the last few verses of that chapter. Peter's calling upon Jesus as our great example to follow in suffering. And when he was reviled, Peter says he didn't revile in return. When he was threatened, he didn't threaten those who were issuing those threats toward him. He never did anything contrary to his father's will. We're told in the Gospels that he always did what was pleasing in his father's sight. Nor did he leave undone any of his father's work. When he came to the very end of his earthly mission, as we're going to look at this morning, just very briefly, his great prayer there in John 17, he begins that prayer by saying, I have fully accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And so whether we're thinking about him going beyond God's will and doing something that the Father had uh, told him not to do or coming short of what the Father wanted him to do, none of that was true of Jesus. He had no sin to confess. He had no need to ask for forgiveness of his sins. And so I come back at least to the question, why did Jesus pray? And I want us to just notice a few reasons. I don't think this is an exhaustive list by any means, but these are just a few reasons why Jesus prayed to his Father and some good reasons that we need to think of and perhaps can help us grow in our own prayers to our Father. First of all, from Luke chapter 10, and I have at least the Scripture references here on the screen. Uh, We may or may not read all of these this morning. But Luke chapter 10, let's notice what is said here at verse 21. This is after Jesus has sent the 70 disciples out, you might remember, uh, to do uh, his work to prepare the way, uh, prepare the fields really for Jesus to come and to preach the gospel to different cities. But in verse 21, Luke tells us there of chapter 10, at that very time, he, that is Jesus, rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Here is Jesus praising his Father, and he's praising his Father specifically at this point for the plan, the eternal, the wise plan that his Father had to use people that the world often, often considers, as he describes in this verse, infants. And I think he may be thinking specifically about these 70 disciples that he has just sent out that the world would consider them to be infants, not to be the wise, the great ones, uh, the ones that the world would want to follow, but but they just considered them to be babies, that, that they weren't even worthy of the world's consideration. But he was praising his father for his wisdom in using even these ones that the world would say are infants to accomplish his plan, to do his work as Jesus was sending them out into the fields to labor and to prepare the way again for people to receive him as the Christ, the Son of God. In John chapter 11, again, we'll kind of be skipping around here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John today. But in John chapter 11, I think we know this passage uh, fairly well, I would assume. Uh, Most of this, this chapter is describing for us Lazarus and him passing away. And uh, Mary and Martha, his sisters, uh, wanting Jesus to come and to 
heal him before he died. But of course, Jesus had a greater purpose in mind that he knew that, that Lazarus would die and he would raise him from the dead and that would be all to the glory of God. But as people are coming here on the scene to the tomb of Lazarus, as they're obviously weeping as they are sad over losing Mary and Martha, their brother and their great friend, and even Jesus is weeping himself, he prays here. And notice what is said here beginning at verse 41 and looking at verses 41 and 42. Uh, John tells us that they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. Here is Jesus not just praying to praise his Father, but here is Jesus praying to thank his Father. To thank his Father for always hearing his prayers. To thank his Father uh, for giving him opportunities like he has here in John chapter 11. To show others who were not yet believers in him. To show them that he and the Father are one. John, I think, throughout his gospel really drives that point home, maybe more so than the other gospel writers, that the Son and the Father are one. They are united together in purpose, in mind, in the work that they are doing. Uh, they are one, that Jesus wasn't just a man, but Jesus was God in the flesh. And so he is thanking his Father for giving him those opportunities. And then that great prayer that I mentioned just a moment ago from chapter 17, I think we learned several things about Jesus and his life of prayer that are worthy of our imitation today. As he begins that prayer in John 17, verses 1 and 2, John says that Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Here is Jesus beginning this beautiful prayer. Uh, as far as I know, the longest recorded prayer we have of Jesus in Scripture. And he says a lot of things throughout this prayer, but he begins here by expressing that sense of oneness, that sense of unity that he and the Father have as he is doing the Father's work. He is, I think, showing submission as he had always showed to his heavenly Father. He was wanting uh, or acknowledging here and asking that the Father would glorify him as he is about to wrap up his work on earth, just as he had glorified his Father as he did the mission, uh, the work that, that the Father had sent him to do. He is recognizing his Father as a source of his authority. He is requesting the Father to be with him now that the hour has come. And that's kind of an interesting uh, phrase there that now the hour has come because you read through the gospel accounts and especially through John again that there are situations that Jesus finds himself in, maybe very tense conversations, times when the religious leaders are ready to stone him or throw him out of the temple. They're ready to be done with him. And somehow he escapes, maybe using his power that he has as the son of God to do that. But the writers always usually tell us in those situations that his hour had not come. But now the hour has come. And so he is requesting that the Father would be with him as he suffers on the cross. As we just continue looking at this particular prayer that Jesus is not only uh, just speaking to his Father as he prayed here on earth, but he is also, as he is speaking to his Father, he is praying for uh, his disciples 
So he's not just focused on the relationship that he has with his father in prayer, but he's also focused on the relationship he has with those who are his followers. Just notice a few of these uh, citations that I have here on, uh, on the screen. The end of verse 2, uh, he is praying to his father for all those whom you have given me that he may give eternal life. Uh, verse 9, he says, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Verse 11, he says, I am no longer in the world, and yet they, talking about his disciples, his followers, they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 15, he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Jesus, of course, was about to leave this world behind very soon. But he was not requesting that his father would take them out of this world, but that he would give them the strength and the power that they needed to overcome Satan himself. Verse 17, he was requesting that his father would sanctify them or set them apart in his truth because his word is truth. Verses 20 and 21, he was asking his father that they might be united that just as he, the Son, and the Father were one, that those who were followers of the Son might be one as well. And then at verse 24, he's thinking, it seems to me, even into the future. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. He doesn't just want disciples here on earth to be united or to be one so that we can speak with one voice and we can provide proof or evidence that Jesus and, and the Father are truly one. But he wants all of us who are his followers to be united with him. He wants all of us to share in his glory. Maybe another number of other passages you could think of in your mind this morning as to why Jesus prayed, but to me it's kind of an interesting question to consider. <laughs> Why did Jesus pray? Well, I believe the long and short of it is he prayed to fully express himself to his Father to truly have this connection, uh, this communion, if you will, with his Father. And we need to ask ourselves that, that question, is that why we pray today? Do we pray just because we are wanting something from our Heavenly Father just because we're wanting him to fulfill some request? Is it just because we have sinned and we need to acknowledge that to God and receive forgiveness for that? Or is this about a relationship that we have with God? Uh, Jesus, I think, shows us beyond a shadow of a doubt in his example while he was here on earth that it was definitely about a relationship, that he needed that connection with his Father day in and day out. So having thought about why Jesus prayed, I want us to think for a few minutes in this session about where Jesus prayed. I don't know if we've ever really thought about that, but I think it gives us some interesting information that we can use today in our own prayers as we talk to our Father in heaven. I go to the Gospel of Matthew for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 14, after Jesus has, has fed the 5,000 plus uh, women and children here earlier in this chapter, uh, then Matthew says something to us at verse 22, that immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. You can think about what Jesus has had to deal with on this particular day. 
Uh, he has taught. He has healed. He has fed thousands of people. He has been around a large multitude of people, a crowd. And he sends the crowds away, Matthew says. And what does he do? He, he goes up on this mountain and he spends time with his heavenly father. He goes up on this mountain by himself to pray. And so Jesus knew that he needed time alone to be with his father. Over in the gospel of Mark, we see a, a similar uh, situation where Jesus uh, gets away from the crowds and he is alone as he talks to his father. In Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 32, we're going to come back to some of these texts uh, either later on in this session or in the uh, worship hour this morning and maybe look at them from a little bit different vantage point or pull something different out of some of these same texts. But Mark chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 32, Mark says that when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. This was the door of uh, Simon and Andrew's uh, house. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. So Mark tells us some some vital information here, maybe information that we kind of tend to overlook sometimes. But he says here, uh, one evening, the whole city, I believe he's still here in Capernaum, had showed up in Peter and Andrew's door. Jesus was healing many of them. I don't know how many of them that would have been, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands again. But the next morning, Jesus decided before everybody else got up that he was going to leave their house and he was going to go to a deserted or a secluded place. I'm behind here on the PowerPoint already. <laughs> he was going to go to a place where there, there weren't any people. And he was going to spend time with his father alone. He was going to pray to his father. He was going to commune with his father. From the Gospel of Luke, we see this once again, Jesus getting by himself. In Luke chapter 5, at verse 15, beginning, Luke says to us here, but the news about him was spreading even farther and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Here, as, as people are learning more about who Jesus of Nazareth is, as they realize he has the power to heal us of our sicknesses and diseases, uh, he, he has great power that no other man has. As his popularity, as his fame is growing, Jesus, Luke tells us here, would often, I realize that word often, at least in the American standards, is, is italicized. But I think as you look through Jesus' life as it was recorded for us in the gospel accounts, this is his habit. This is his life, that he would often look for opportunities that he could get away, go away to a mountain, go away to a secluded place, go away to a wilderness, which the word wilderness in Scripture sometimes can just be describing for us a deserted place. And he would go to those places to pray. I believe our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ understood the necessity of finding an isolated place away from life's busyness to pray to his Father alone. And I assume all of us, at least all of us who are of age here this morning, we all live busy lives, don't we? And it may be a challenge for us to find a place that is alone. Uh, Jesus speaks as he talks about prayer in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount 
uh, about not doing righteous things before other people just so that we can be praised by them, but to do them so that, that our Heavenly Father will notice and we will be praised by Him. He talks about going into your closet. <laughs> Maybe we don't have physically a closet. Maybe a lot of us, probably our closets are pretty full, aren't they? <laughs> we may not can even get into our closet. But I think the idea there is you find a quiet place. You find a place where you can be alone uh, with your Heavenly Father and you can talk to Him. To me, that seems to be a key. And I have tried to do that uh, over the last few years of my life. But He didn't always just pray alone. We find also in Luke's uh, gospel that He prayed with His disciples. In Luke chapter 9 at verse 28, before uh, as he is going up to the, uh, the mountain to uh, be transfigured. Luke says to us in that particular verse, that some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. He's taking his inner circle, as we describe them sometimes, his three closest apostles, and going up onto this mountain to pray before he is transfigured. In chapter 11 in verse 1, uh, Luke says to us there, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Obviously, uh, I don't know that Luke says this outright, but it's obvious to me anyway that the disciples, the apostles were there listening, observing, watching Jesus pray. Maybe they were hearing what he was praying or how he was praying how he was communicating to the Father. And as they looked at their own life and how they were used to praying to God, maybe they said, there, there's some areas in which we're deficient. There, there are some ways in which we need to grow. And so they asked the Lord to teach them to pray. That ought to be our sentiment today. As I hope these lessons this, today will help us to do, that we are asking Jesus to teach us to pray. And the way that we can do that is to look at his life of prayer, to examine the evidence of how he prayed and why he prayed, where he prayed, when he prayed, and all of those things. Although, as we just noticed there with Jesus praying to his Father alone on many occasions, prayer was a very, I think, personal, private activity for Jesus. I believe he also understood the value of involving his disciples, of involving other people in that as he prayed. Uh, of giving him an opportunity to teach them about prayer. To me, I think there is a, a great lesson just in what is said to us here in Luke 11 and verse 1. For those of us who are parents, uh, do our children really see us praying? Is the only time perhaps that they see us praying as their parents is when we sit down together, if we do that as a family, before we eat a meal? Or are there other occasions that they see us praying? We need to be teaching them how to pray. Do we pray with our children? I know it's kind of been our uh, custom as a family since our children were, were young, you know, before we put them to bed at night, that we will say a prayer with them and have them pray. And, and it's good because, uh, well, it can be good and bad because they're watching your example. And if our prayers are not what they need to be, that's kind of the way that our children are going to learn how to pray. But if we are trying to teach them how to address God, if we are trying to teach them about the importance of us staying in communication with our Heavenly Father, then that can be a great teaching moment. Maybe you don't have children or you don't have children at home, but if, if you are an older saint, you can teach younger saints how to pray. 
just by the example that you set with them, by spending time with them. And I think we need to pass that on from generation to generation. Finally, uh, this morning, we're going to think about Jesus praying in a crowd of people. We've already noticed that at many points in his earthly ministry, there was just a throng of people, hundreds or thousands of people that were uh, traveling with Jesus and uh, just hanging on his every word. Back to Luke chapter 9 at verse 16. This is after feeding or the feeding rather of the 5,000. Luke tells us there at that verse, then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. He's in a crowd of thousands of people. So he doesn't decide at this particular point, hey, I'm going to go off and leave these people by themselves. I'm going to go to a mountain or a deserted place and pray to the Father. But here he is praying in their midst. And Jesus is taking the time, I think, setting the example as he's turning his eyes heavenward, Luke tells us, or Matthew does. And he's giving thanks for the food. He is setting an example for all of these people to follow. And then finally, in this session from John chapter 12, John chapter 12, as Jesus was coming here to the city of uh, Jerusalem, uh, he is in the last few days of, of his uh, time on earth before he is crucified. And there's a great crowd that has come together in the city of Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. And notice what Jesus is doing just as he is in that crowd. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 27, uh, John says to us here the words of Christ, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Again, Jesus doesn't go off by himself on this occasion, but he just stops right here in the crowd of probably thousands of people that are surrounding him, and he praises God. He thanks God. He is praying to his Father while they are standing nearby. They are able to hear his prayer. They are able to see his example in prayer. We, we often think, or I think for myself about, wow, it would be really really cool, really neat for me to be able to go back in time and to be there on the, when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount or to see his great miracles of raising Lazarus from the dead. But how often do we think about, it would be really interesting if we could go back and be there when Jesus was praying and to hear his prayers and to observe him as he talked to his father. So even in a great crowd of people, here is Jesus praying to his father. Do we do that? Maybe when we're out at a restaurant, <laughs> not that we're trying to draw attention to ourselves, but before we eat the food that God has blessed us with, do we take the time to pray? We don't have to bow our heads to pray. We don't have to close our eyes to pray, but we can just be in a crowd of people that are doing all kinds of things, and we can still communicate with our Heavenly Father. There's so much, I think, for us to learn from Jesus and His life of prayer so I hope maybe you can think about these things uh, today and we will return to this particular thought here in a little while. Let's be dismissed to our classes at this time.